You may be seated. Turning your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke and chapter 18. The Gospel of Luke and chapter 18 will begin reading in verse 31 and reading through the end of the chapter. Hear now God's Word. Luke 18 and verse 31. And taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, and will be mocked, and shamefully treated, and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. On the third day, he will rise." But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. As he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. The grass withers, flower fades. The word of our God endures forever. Let's pray together. Father, we find ourselves once again looking into the glorious truths of your word, of these wonderful pictures that your word gives us, both of your commitment to the will of your Father and your mercy and compassion to poor sinners like us. Lord, teach us from your word this night and enable us to glorify and praise you as a result. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as many of us have been hearing for some time now, we have seen the Apostle Paul highlighting in the book of Romans a wide range of glorious spiritual truths. Remember in chapter 1 how the Apostle Paul speaks of the eternal power and Godhead that is clearly revealed in creation. In chapter 5, we have the doctrine of justification by faith, which in turn produces peace with God. In chapter 6, the apostle gives us this, this remarkable way, this picture of how baptism illustrates our union with Christ. And then, as we have been for some time now in chapter 8, we find a virtual plethora of spiritual realities that are all designed to encourage us, 
There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. We have received the spirit of adoption by which we cry, Abba, Father. We see God's sovereignty. We'll get there in verse 28, that God works all things after the counsel of his own will for his own glory and for our good. We see our eternal security in the end of the chapter, in in chapter 8, and where he talks about nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Nothing. But my friends, when the apostle gets to chapters 9 through 11, be patient, we will get there, but when the apostle comes to chapters 9 through 11, and he begins to think and to ruminate upon the fact that God has brought salvation to the Gentiles, these hated, utterly despised people living in the first century. God has brought salvation to the Gentiles. And when Paul begins to deal with that topic, he is entering into a sphere of thought that that is beyond expression. So that when he comes to chapter 11 and verse 33, he cries out, Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Here is this glorious God and his ways are unsearchable. Now Luke does not write with the same loftiness of language that the Apostle Paul was gifted with. But in this final section of Luke 18, he nevertheless places before us an equally wonderful picture of the unsearchable riches of the mercy of Christ to poor, broken, unworthy sinners. And we're going to see that mercy displayed in three particulars. First, in his work of redemption, as described in verses 31 through 34. And then we're going to see the work of compassion as he deals with Bartimaeus, the blind beggar. And lastly, and very briefly, to see that mercy displayed in our own lives to God's glory. Well, let's begin, first of all, with the mercy of Christ as seen in his work of redemption. Now, you realize that verses 31 through 34 mark a radical shift in subject matter. This is a a sharp departure from those things that Jesus has been dealing with. Remember how in the previous section, Jesus was explaining the way of salvation 
to this rich young ruler who asks the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, first of all, you must receive the kingdom of God like a little child. You've got to believe God. You've got to believe God's word. But it also means a a 100% commitment so that if, if I command you, go and sell everything you have, give it to the poor, come and follow me, you would say, yes, Lord. Of course, that's not what happened. But Jesus had been dealing with the rich young ruler. Then he took his disciples, and he began to teach them about the blessings that belong to all those who would follow after Jesus wholeheartedly, both in this world and in the world to come, eternal life. But suddenly, Jesus takes his disciples aside. He, he removes them from the crowd. He has something very important to tell them, something that is burdening his own heart and soul. And he wants them to know. And so he takes them aside and he begins to speak not of the blessings, but of the sufferings that were about to occur. So look at verse 31. He took the twelve aside. He said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem. And all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished. He will be delivered to the Gentiles, mocked, insulted, spit upon, scourged, and killed. Jesus begins to press upon them these truths. Now, perhaps if you have maps in your Bibles, you might want to turn back there and and look at the one that describes uh, the land of Israel in the days of Jesus. Because Luke is giving us geographical details here. And there's a reason. What you need to understand is that Jesus and his disciples have traveled down from Galilee in the north, near the Sea of Galilee, And they have passed down along the border of Samaria through the the land of Perea. And they've crossed the Jordan. Jericho is in view. And then after that, Jerusalem. Now, what's the purpose of these geographical details? One of the reasons, I believe, is to emphasize the point that for Jesus, the suffering of the cross is very near, and he knew it. Jerusalem is next in line, and then he is going to suffer. The sufferings of the cross are near, perhaps just days away from this incident. And Jesus knows what is about to happen. He is feeling the weight of the cross much more keenly than he has before. This is the third time that Jesus has described what was coming in his sufferings. And he tells his disciples that all that the prophets have written will be fulfilled. You remember any of those prophecies? 
You may want to turn back to Isaiah and chapter 52 and listen to what he says in verse 14. Just as many were astonished at you, so his appearance was marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. My friends, the brutality with which Jesus was abused makes anything we hear about today seem pale. His appearance was so badly marred that someone that knew him before and saw him after his suffering would not recognize him. And then, of course, we have Isaiah 53 in verse 3. He is despised and rejected by men, of man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, such that we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Verse 5, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. By his stripes, we are healed. My friends, here, time and time again, we read about how the Savior was abused, how he was mistreated, how he was beaten, how he was whipped, and how these various forms of suffering had their cumulative effect upon him. Psalm 22 and verse 1 bring in the element not just of the physical suffering, but the spiritual agony as he suffered under the eternal judgment of God due to our sins, but placed upon him so that he cries, my God, my God, God, why have you forsaken me? In that suffering that Jesus experienced, these are just a few of the passages of which he's speaking. And his description of the details of those sufferings were stunningly accurate. Delivered, mocked, spit upon, beaten, Flogged, killed. How did Jesus know those things were coming? He knew them because he was fully God and fully man. He knew them the same way that he knew where the fish were when he told Peter to cast his net on the right side of the boat. And after fishing all night, catching nothing, they have a tremendous catch that even was breaking their nets. He knew it the same way that he knew when Philip went and found Nathanael. And when Nathanael comes, Jesus says, Behold an Israelite in whom is no deceit. And Nathanael says, Do you know me? And Jesus says, Before Philip found you, I saw you sitting under the fig tree. So Jesus knew what was about to happen. The significance is not how did Jesus know. That we can answer. The significance here is that knowing he continued to Jerusalem. 
So if you were to hear an amber alert on your phone go off and they, they said there's a gang outside Walmart. Do not go to Walmart today or you will be beaten or worse. Would you still go? Would you not find another store to go to? Would you just wait a couple of days and see what happens? Jesus knew we're going to Jerusalem. And all that the prophets have said is going to be fulfilled. All of the misery, all of the pain, all of the suffering that he was going to face. And yet he continued to Jerusalem. My friends, I'm not sure we can understand that. What kind of love is that? That knowing the pain and suffering he was going to encounter, he continued. Nothing could make him forego his purpose to redeem a people for himself. Not even his own personal suffering. What depths of mercy is being revealed here. He knew about the pain. He knew about the beating. He knew about the abuse. He knew that he was going to die. But he did not spare himself. He would not give up. The good shepherd laid down his life for the sheep. Even though when he told his closest friends... They didn't even understand what he was talking about. There was no support. There was no prayer. There was no encouragement. My friends, this kind of mercy is unsearchable. Remember how Top Lady puts it? The work that his goodness began, the arm of his strength will complete And nothing, not things future, not things that are now, not things that are below, not things that are above, can make him his purpose forego. He pressed on to Jerusalem. What he began, he would complete, even at the cost of his life. Secondly, the mercy of Christ as seen in his work of compassion. Now, this voluntary, unconstrained willingness of our Savior to secure our redemption, even at the expense of his own personal and unspeakable suffering. My friend, that speaks to us profoundly of the depths of his mercy. But listen, his sufferings on the cross are not the only testimony we have of his abundant and astounding kindness. Luke records a second act which takes place about the same time as the former exchange, perhaps only moments after that former revelation of his suffering. And so beginning in verse 35... We see our Savior's mercy 
in his compassion shown to a poor, blind beggar. And there are many lessons that we could draw out of this particular incident, but I want to highlight three specifics. One, a compassionate Savior. Even though the Lord Jesus was facing trials that you and I cannot even begin to fathom. Even though his soul was suffering, was in pain, was cringing at what was before him, he stopped to minister to this nobody on the side of the road. This blind beggar that everybody would have regarded as a nuisance. Just stay out of our way. But Jesus, even in the midst of his own personal grief and sorrow and pain, stops and ministers to this man. Now, brothers and sisters, young people, listen. Jesus is never too busy to help you. He is willing. He is willing. He is willing. He is able. That is what the the singer, the hymn writer tells us. That is what the scriptures show us time and time again. Jesus is willing to help us. Let's look closer at the second thing, and that is the desperate beggar. Sometimes people get really bogged down in the details here, and they miss the main point. Some of the details, Luke says there was a blind man. Mark gives us his name, Bartimaeus. Matthew says there were two. Mark and Luke say there was one. Matthew and Mark say they were leaving Jericho, and Luke says they were coming into Jericho. Now, I don't want to spend a lot of time here, but let me just say that briefly, I think we can explain the different various points of view from the different writers. One, we can say as we put everything together here that Jesus passes through the town of Jericho. Nobody invites him for supper. So as he's going out of town, which we read about in the next chapter in Luke 19, he sees Zacchaeus, and he invites himself to Zacchaeus' house. As they're turning around and going back into Jericho, Jesus encounters the blind man. Hence the going, the coming. Not unusual if there were two One writer sees that. Another writer just highlights what happens with Bartimaeus in particular. But here, it's far more important to see how the blind man responds. So as you read through these verses, 35 and following, we have this blind beggar on the side of the road named Bartimaeus. He hears a tremendous crowd of people passing by. And so he inquires, what's going on? Someone tells him, Jesus 
of Nazareth is going by. And immediately, this man begins to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy upon me. People are annoyed at that, and they say, be quiet, old man. Sit there and be quiet. Don't disturb him. He's got better things to do. He will not be quiet. As a matter of fact, he gets louder, and he cries out again, Jesus, son of David, have mercy upon me. Jesus hears this man's cry, and because of his cry, Because his cry was a cry of faith. Notice what he says. Jesus, son of David. How does he know that? We can't answer that question. But we know that he believed Jesus was the promised son of David that would sit upon his throne throughout eternity. He believes that Jesus is the promised one who would come to help and to bless the people of God, even to open blind eyes. You can go back to Isaiah 42 and verses 6 and 7, where God promises of his servant, the Lord Jesus Christ, I will keep you. I will hold your hand. I will give you as a covenant to the people. I will use you to bring deliverance to the prisoners and to open blind eyes. It was Christ who was prophesied that day by Isaiah. And it is that person that Bartimaeus believes is standing there with him. And so he cries loudly that Christ would help him. And the third thing is this stunning question. Because this man cries for mercy, Jesus stands still. He stops where he's going. He stops what he's doing. And he says, bring him to me. And when the man is brought before Jesus, Jesus utters these astounding words. He says, what do you want me to do for you? My friends, Bartimaeus was handed a signed blank check. Have you ever got one of those? Sometimes people might owe you money. Sometimes people want to reimburse for you for something. And they write you a check and they fill in the amount. Here's $28 and that settles our account. But what if they signed the check and said, I tell you what, I'm going to put your name in here, but the amount you fill it in. What do you want? How much do you want? How much would you fill it in for? Jesus tells Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do? And my friends, Bartimaeus takes advantage of that situation. 
Remember that hymn, Thou art coming to a king, large petitions with you bring. Well, Bartimaeus brought a large petition. When Jesus says, what do you want me to do? He says, I want to receive my sight. Now, anyone else would have said, Bartimaeus, you're crazy. That's impossible. Nobody can restore the sight of the blind except one, the Son of David, the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, okay, (laughs) not a problem. Nothing is too difficult for him. My friends, Bartimaeus is not the only one. Do we not have promise after promise after promise in the scriptures? Do we not have directive after directive like Matthew 7, 7? Ask and it shall, you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. The infinite mercy of the Son of God, suffering in our place to redeem us, defies description. This situation is more tangible, but it is equally staggering. Because what Jesus tells this blind beggar in response to his cry for mercy, the almighty son of God says, I can do that. Receive your sight. And he received his sight that moment. So here's the question for us. Question for you. What do you want Jesus to do for you? Is there some sin that you've committed and you just don't see any possible way that Christ could have mercy upon you? Ask him and you will receive it. Ask him to forgive you, to wash you and make you whiter than snow. Is there some sin tonight that you are struggling with that you just can't seem to get the upper hand of? The victory seems elusive. Brethren, ask, but don't just ask. Cry louder. Cry harder. Cry more frequently. And you will receive an answer. Is there some problem that you're facing right now, tonight? And you need help. Ask him. Is there some need in your life? And no one else can meet that need. There is one who can. And it is the merciful Christ, ask him.
perhaps you're a young child here tonight and God has been working in your heart, in your mind, and moving and stirring you to know that you need salvation. You need to confess Christ. You need to go to Jesus. He is the Savior of sinners. And he tells us, he who comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. Go to him. Cry out to him. Save me. And he will save you. Well, this is the picture that we have in Bartimaeus, a desperate beggar. But it is a compassionate Savior who responds to his needs. Let's look lastly and briefly at the mercy of Christ as seen in your life. It's a wonderful thing when we see and when we hear, when we read books about how God has worked powerfully and graciously in the lives of others. I'm not diminishing that at all. But my friends, that cannot compare to when we see God's hand at work in our lives. And that is where I believe we need to end tonight. To take a moment this very evening, tonight when you get home, throughout the coming week, and think about the mercy of Christ to you, of how God has worked in your heart and in your life. You know, we sing that hymn, Praise My Soul, the King of Heaven, number 76 in your hymnals. And it says, Ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven. Who like me his praise should sing? My friends, we ought to be thinking, thinking deeply, thinking specifically about what Christ has done for us. You know, this is exactly what the Apostle Paul does in Ephesians chapter 1. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. And what does he say? Chosen. Before the foundation of the world, predestined unto the adoption as sons. In him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And he is our God in whom we have an an inheritance. Because he is a God who works all things after the counsel of his own will. Know that old gospel hymn, Count Your Blessings. Name them one by one. That's a good practice. Name them. Sit down. Think about how God has worked. He's chosen you from before the foundation of the world. He's predestined you to be adopted as his sons. He's brought you to himself. He's given you faith and repentance, which are his gifts. And he has blessed you richly and promises the glory of eternal life with his son forever and ever. Name them, write them down, and praise God for them. Well, we end as we began this evening with Matthew eleven twenty-eight and following. Come, 
unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. My friends, do you, do you have some sense of what that's like? Are you weak? Are you wounded? Are you heavy laden? Burdened? Come. Come to Jesus and you will find rest for your souls. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for these glorious pictures. Though difficult to think of the suffering you endured on our behalf. Yet, Lord, the the prize, what you have won for us in redeeming grace, we praise you. We thank you that your compassion extends to the poorest, meanest, weakest, helpless beggar in our midst tonight. And that you promise to have mercy on those who will call upon you. And Lord, we thank you for the many ways in which you have blessed us to date. And may our mouths be filled with your praises. We ask for Jesus' sake. Amen. Let's take a moment, pray about these things, and ask for God's Spirit's work in our hearts.